Are you quick to judge others by their outward appearance? Pastor Ed Taylor says we make a mistake when we do that. The church lacked at this phase in their lives spiritual eyes. They were looking at things and peoples and situations only by the outward appearances. And when you and I do that, we make a great mistake and come to the wrong conclusions. They missed so much in the spiritual warfare, and they were beginning to miss it with their pastor too, and their apostle. This is amazing grace. Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora, presents Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Tanner. Today, we continue our verse-by-verse journey through 2 Corinthians with a message based in chapter 10 titled, To God Be the Glory, Great Things He Has Done. We're often quick to make snap judgments based on outward appearance. For instance, how often do we see someone who is good-looking get elected into office? Or you see someone shabbily dressed and think poorly of them? But as we'll see today, it's not a good idea to judge others based on outward appearance. That's a real problem today, as it was in Paul's day. Here's Pastor Ed. Well, chapter 10 opens up with a pleading by Paul to receive the truth. Remember in verse 1 of chapter 10, just by way of of connecting the dots here, I, I myself, Paul, pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence, um, I'm lonely among you, but absent, I'm being bold toward you. He says, I beg you that you that when I'm present, I may not be bold with the confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. This chapter 10 is where we're at. We'll be in chapter 11 when we finish chapter 10. Is a focus upon the Paul saying, you guys are focusing outwardly. That's always a mistake. He's, he's under attack. He is being undermined. He's being lied about. He is having false accusations come in within the church of Corinth after he left. And the first beginning of the, of the book up until chapters 8 and 9, he dealt with those things. And then he took a little pause there to remind the Corinthians that they made a promise to help the church in Jerusalem. So in chapters 8 and 9, he instructed them and reminded them and us as well with the giving, the emphasis upon giving, the heart of giving. Then chapter 10, he goes back to saying, man, guys, I'm begging you guys with meekness and gentleness. I know I don't look that impressive. And later he's going to say, I know I don't sound that impressive, but I beg you, verse to that I, I, when I'm present with you, I don't have to be bold. I don't have to speak strongly with you. There had been an outward focus in the church permeating the fellowship, including how they viewed spiritual warfare because in the next few verses, in beginning in verse 3, he says, though we walk in the flesh, though we live outwardly, we don't fight against the, we don't fight according to the flesh because the weapons of our warfare are not human. Remember the word carnal can also be human. They're not fleshly, but they're mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. 
It's permeated every part of their lives so that even when they're battling spiritual things, they were battling them outwardly. They tended to rely upon, as we saw last time, the church in Corinth were relying upon human methodologies. So opposite of Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways and he'll direct your paths. They were doing the opposite. They were in the midst of the spiritual battle trying to fight it in the physical realm. So that instead of the belt of truth around them, they were fighting a fight of manipulation. That's what was happening with even the false teachers coming in. They they weren't buckled with the belt of truth. Instead of the breastplate of righteousness, they were fighting with outward images of what it was to be right with God. They were putting on a face. They were putting on a front. They were trying to be impressive outwardly. Instead of the shield of faith, they fought with arrogance, not trusting in the Lord. Instead of the helmet of salvation, they used power and authority. Exactly the opposite of what Jesus taught to to lead by servanthood, not by lording over the people. And here's the thing. Here's the bottom line of our study last time and by way of review today. When you and I choose to fight the wrong war using the wrong weapons, it will always lead to the wrong outcome. When we choose to fight the wrong war, physical, not spiritual, with the wrong weapons, physical, not spiritual, it will always end with the wrong outcome. And the outcome is most certainly going to be one of defeat, discouragement, and ultimately dismay. And the carnal worldly thinking that had entered the church had made the church susceptible to all sorts of problems, not just the undermining of the apostleship of Paul and the 18 months that he spent developing a relationship. And literally, it, it, it's, it's hard to conceive unless you just spend a minute thinking about this. Because as we're going through the scriptures, we're just kind of accepting things uh, because that's the truth. He was there 18 months. But I want you to think of what it would be like if you were able to spend 18 months all day, every day with the same group of people. And it continued to grow as you're preaching the gospel and as you're teaching the word. That the day before Paul arrived in Corinth on his missionary journey, no church existed. There was no church in Corinth. That's hard for us even to conceive in an in a environment and in a time when there are hundreds of churches and cities. But imagine a city the size of Corinth, a few hundred thousand people. A few hundred thousand people. What is Aurora now? 450,000? Over 400,000? Imagine a city of 400,000, 450,000, Denver, five, six, seven hundred thousand. No church anywhere. A lot of false religion, a lot of false worship, but no church, no group of people proclaiming the name of Jesus, no group of people gathering together in Jesus' name. And Paul not only preached the gospel and people were saved, but a congregation was developing for 18 months. It grew and it grew and it grew. And it came to time where Paul needed to move on and do a work in another city. They became susceptible, notice, back in chapter 10, they, came, they became susceptible to one, to walking in the flesh. If everything is just outward for you, then you're going to walk in the flesh. Not only that, but this third, the second one in verse 3 is they began to fight in the flesh. They were susceptible to human responses. Not only that, but they had allowed in verse 4 strongholds in their minds and in their hearts. Not only that, but this church that was once strong and vibrant and reaching the community, reaching their city for the gospel in verse 5, they were now susceptible to arguments against God's mind and God's methods. They were literally believing these things, receiving them. Not only that, but they were also susceptible to every high thing that exalts itself against the very knowledge of God. 
the very base of what you know. I know with our pastor, when we were going through difficult times, and, and he's taught us, and then Pastor Chuck's taught that, and I have the privilege of now teaching you that when tough times come, you don't want to give up what you know for what you don't know. When you're battling and you're confused and your difficult, difficulties arise or whatever issue it might be, just distracted like we've been looking at on our weekend services, whatever it might be, you, you are in a fog and it's just not quite certain yet or in the depths of great warfare, you don't want to give up the base knowledge of what you know. Like right now, I know those of you that name the D- name of Jesus Christ, you know that you know that God loves you. You know that. You know the love of God in your life. You've experienced it, let alone heard the truth. You know that God is for you and not against you. You know that God has promised never to leave or forsake you. Or it put, let's put it in a different way. You know that God has never, he's promised to never abandon you, especially when in times, I mean in the good times and in the bad. You know that you know that God's word is true, even if it's hard to receive at various moments. And for the church here, they had all of these lies and they were susceptible to all of these arguments and every high thing. I mean, it even sounds, things even sound like they're valid, but it's against the knowledge of God. And when tough times come or when good times come, you never want to abandon the knowledge of God because there's some things that you are wondering about, things that you're waiting on, things that you're concerned about, things that are stumbling you or fogging up. It's a situation. So Paul in verse 6 is ready, notice, to confront this. He's ready to take a stand on it. He's ready to be used of God to punish all disobedience, while at some encourage obedience in other people's lives. That was his role as a pastor. Oftentimes a simple Bible study will accomplish verse 6. Did you know that? Just God speaking forth his word. For some of you, God convicts you of your disobedience and you know, the punishment, don't think of it as like going to your room and going to a timeout. The, the reality is that God is bringing about a revelation that if you don't repent when it's revealed, punishment, consequences is certainly going to follow. We know that. The Bible says what we sow is what we're going to reap. But at the same time, in a simple Bible study or even perhaps a song or a hymn or we're singing together and worshiping together and God uses a song or the atmosphere of praise to encourage your obedience He says, hey, I'm ready to punish all disobedience so that your obedience or when your obedience is fulfilled. Now, with that in mind, verse 7, do you look at things according to outward appearance? That's a rhetorical question, by the way. That's exactly what they were doing. Do you look at things outwardly? I mean, I think it's a question you should ask yourself as well. And every one of us would have to say, yeah, sometimes. Or yeah, a lot of times. Or some of you might even have to say yes all the time. But of course, do you look at things outwardly? Okay, if you do, then if anyone's convinced in himself that he's Christ, let him again consider this in himself, that just as he is Christ, even so we're Christ. He's turning it around on them. So you guys are only looking outwardly? Okay, okay. So you guys are looking outwardly. Anybody that's listening to me, anybody reading the letter, if you think you're you're Christ and you're just making that conclusion about yourself, then I want you to, if you can make that conclusion about yourself, then Paul's saying, make it about me too. That's all. He's like, I don't know why you guys are coming against me, but if you think you're a believer, I'm telling you I'm a believer, so just give me the benefit of the doubt. I'm a believer. For even if I should boast, he says, somewhat more about our authority, which the Lord gave us for edification and not for destruction, I shall not be ashamed, lest I seem to terrify you by letters. 
For his letters, verse 10, they say, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is contemptible. Let such a person consider this, that what we are in word by letters, when we are absent, such we will also be indeed when we are present. If you've read ahead or you're reading the book of 2 Corinthians regularly, like I asked you to read the book of John, just to get ready, just keep saturating yourself. You know, if you have one of those Bible apps, of course, you've, the, in the New Living Translation, it'll read it to you. So you can let the let, you can let your phone or your iPad or your tablet read it to you. And you're just saturated in it. You'll recall, is if you're reading ahead, that, or you can sense, I should say, that Paul's getting a little more stern here. He's going, you know what, guys? I'm, I'm, I'm done begging. I started out begging, but I'm done. You guys looking outwardly, you know, you call yourselves Christians, then I'm telling you I am one, so just, tell, just count me one too. And by the way, even if I should boast somewhat, he says in verse 8, about my authority, God gave me this authority. I didn't take it upon myself. And I'm not using the authority to take advantage of you. It's to build you up. And now you're blaming me that I'm terrifying you, verse 9, by letters. Oh, their letters, verse 10, are weighty and powerful. But look at Paul. He's, he's scrawny and he can't even talk. You know when someone really doesn't have a str- sound, strong argument. And I mentioned this before, but you see it again. You know someone doesn't have a sound, strong theological argument or any, when they start to attack the person. There's a phrase for that. I remember not too many long ago, I taught you the phrase. It's called an ad hominem attack. It's an attack on the person. Don't worry about the facts. You know, you're just talking, you know, hey, the sky's blue. No, the sky's green. No, I'm, I'm telling you, this is a, here's a color scheme of blue. You can see, I'll put it up right up with the sky, and it's blue. And the guy says, no, it's green. And then you're like, no, it's blue. And then the guy says, you're ugly. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> I thought we were talking about the sky. No, you're ugly. You can't even tell the sky because you ugly people can't tell. It's like, oh. And then what do you do? I'm not ugly. You're ugly. And it's a good, it's, it's one of those attacks that can get you off. And I know that's a silly one, but it's a lot of them like this. You know, look, he's, he doesn't even look at him. Look at him. Don't you guys remember Paul? Do you remember what he looked like? He can't even talk. He doesn't, I bet you he's not even writing the letters because this doesn't sound like him. This doesn't sound like him because when he was here, he was so nice and so kind. The only thing that they would fail to say is that when he was there for 18 months, everything was fine. He didn't have to write heavy letters and he didn't have to stand with strong rebuke because he was, had a church filled with new believers that just wanted to do whatever God wanted them to do. It was after he left that they, things were infiltrated and things were stirred up. And so the church lacked at this phase in their lives spiritual eyes. They were looking at things and peoples and situations only by the outward appearances. And when you and I do that, we make a great mistake and come to the wrong conclusions They missed so much in the spiritual warfare, and they were beginning to miss it with their pastor too, and their apostle. Remember last time I mentioned that there was an interesting description of Paul, what he looked like? I found it for you. I want to read to you what what a description in about 200 AD, how they described Paul's physical appearance, and I quote, he was a man of small stature, with a bald head, crooked legs, in a good state of body, with eyebrows that met and nose somewhat hooked. Okay. Other sources state that he had some sort of eye disease. So not only was he a small guy with a bald head and crooked legs and eyebrows that met and a crooked hooked nose, but he also, with his eye disease, was always squinting and pus was always coming out of his eyes. Okay. Not very impressive. You would think that such a man that was used so greatly wrote most of the New Testament would be just some dashing, daring outwardly looking great man his name before Paul was what do you guys remember 
Who was he named after? King Saul. And a description of King Saul, listen to King Saul's description in 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 2. Just jot it down. Saul, who he was named after, was described in the Bible as, he had a choice and handsome son whose name was Saul. There was not a more handsome person than he among all the children of Israel. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. And poor Saul, who got saved on the road to Damascus, who became Paul, is this short, crooked leg, hooked nose, ball-headed, pus coming out of his eyes, man that loved the Lord. And if you judged him outwardly, you would have missed a great friendship and relationship. It would have been your loss and mine had we judged a man by what he looked like. Had we avoided him because of the pus of his eyes or the way he stood or made fun of him because of his lack of hair or the way he looked. I wonder how long the Lord will take to get that out of us. To stop judging people the way they look, the way they dress, the way they smell, where they live, the color of their skin. I'm sure that we've come so far, but man, if we're not careful, we'll lose spiritual eyes. If we're not careful, we'll lose and we'll start judging people and justifying that judging and we're going to miss out on all that God would have us to be a part of. I was describing today um, to one, one of the brothers here the kind of church that I've always wanted to be a part of. And I've been a part of two churches just like this. And that is, I always want to be a part of a church where a guy like me can come into it and be accepted by the Lord. And you go, well, a guy like you, you're pastoring a I don't know, a guy like me when I was anti-God, when I hated God and everything to do with God, when I had no care or concern, when I truly was dead in my trespasses and sins, when I really was abusive to my wife, when I really was a poor father, when I really was drunk more than I was sober, when I really was wasting all of our money on drugs, when I really was very angry and all of and, and I could walk in and nobody gave me an interview going, you know, you, you need to clean up. You need to, you know, this kind of, this church, you know, you're welcome here after. You know, this church, we'll let you in when you, instead of just being in a church, to go, you, you know, who are you? Oh, I don't know, I don't even know what I'm doing here. Well, just sit down. The guy's going to teach a Bible study. Listen. I'm like, okay, I'm ready. The, the world is messed up. It's not getting any better. And because the world system's messed up, people are getting messed up really deep. They're wounded in their souls. They're wounded in their minds. And they're walking around of any types of things that we might see outwardly. And God needs to give us. And that's what Paul's saying. You guys, he knows what he looks like. He knows what he sounded like. I, I've met people. I, I know. I know even in my own life. I feel a lot more comfortable writing than I do speaking. It gives me time to put things in order. I can edit it. I can, I can uh, spell check it. I can find a different synonym if I keep repeating the same word a thousand times. That's I do. And sometimes when I'm teaching, it's like, man, he said that. Well, I know I can't think of another word. I'm sorry. There's no right click in my head of synonyms. But when I'm writing, I feel a lot more comfortable. I can organize my thoughts. I can put things together. Anybody like that? that that's, of course, Paul's going to sound better when he writes a letter. He's got some time to think about it. He's got some time to scratch something out. He's got some patience where you're put on the spot. I know that there have been times, so many times in my life, it has not, it, I, just for this, I want you to know, it never ends. But there you are, open door, talking to somebody. They have a Bible question for you. It happens when I'm on the radio, the same thing. Uh, somebody has a Bible question, somebody has a, or there might be some argument, and then you just are all tongue-tied. You don't know what to say, and you're just like, oh, we just need to pray. And then three minutes later, you get it, and it's too late. They're gone. 
They're like, where did you go? I've got the right answer. And then you're chasing them, and then they turn around. Don't be chasing. And, you know, it's just ugly. You, don't, it, you wish you got it at the moment. But in the moment, it doesn't come so quickly. But if you sat down and thought, thought about it, or it happened at 8 o'clock in the morning, and it came to you at 5.30 on your way home, and you're like, ah. Oh. So, of course, Paul's letters are going to sound stronger and more clearer. Of course, they're going to be more pointed. Of course, they're going to sound, you know, as he said, bold. But at the same time, he says, don't let the letters confuse you. I can be bold in your presence, too, if you want. This is such a strong matter that I can be bold in your presence. I don't want to be. We have a relationship. We have a history together. We have, a, we, we have time invested in one another. It's almost like Paul saying, how can you listen to them? How could you even believe this? Oh, because they're putting down my letters. They're putting down the way I look. Paul says in verse 8, forget about my outward appearance. God put me in this place in your life to encourage you, to strengthen you, and to build you up. Somehow you have forgotten, Paul's saying, my authority in your life. There is such a thing, biblically, church, as spiritual authority. That God puts people in our lives over us. Spiritual authority. Now, spiritual authority is not to be abused. It's not to be used against us. It's not to be used to hurt us. But it certainly is to be used for edification and not destruction. He's not trying to terrify them. But when, when, you're, when you're in the midst of some type of sin and somebody calls you on it, it's going to bring out an emotion. And for them, it was terrifying. And then it immediately, they, the, the, the folks had, had um, come and tried to use it against him. But Paul said he felt like he was boasting. He didn't want to boast. And he didn't want to use his authority. He wanted to lead like Jesus, and he did by serving. Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace. And we've been studying 2 Corinthians today. If you'd like to hear this message again, visit our new website at AboundingGraceRadio.com. You can subscribe to the Abounding Grace podcast there too at AboundingGraceRadio.com. We also offer an app, which is another great way to listen to Pastor Ed. Just search for Calvary Aurora. Well, Pastor Ed, we learned today that when we judge things from a fleshly perspective rather than through spiritual eyes, we can miss much. And that reminds me of the book we have to offer our listeners today. It happens to be our pick of the month. Well, Larry, our book this month is called The Third Option by Pastor Miles McPherson. I was, in, I was introduced to Miles many, many years ago before he planted the Rock Church in San Diego, which is a multi-campus uh, church that's reaching literally thousands upon thousands of people. And the dynamic of ministry of Miles McPherson has blessed me greatly, including this particular book. You've got to get this book in your hands it's called The Third Option, and this is something that Miles talks about that really speaks to the heart of much of the division in our country today, even division in our churches today, and that's racial division, uh, and how our country and our many of our churches are divided racially, and that he encourages us not to see people by the color of their skin, but as God sees them, humans created in the image of God. It's, it is one of the most balanced yet poignant, powerful, biblical messages on learning how to love and not making these outward prejudgments. You know, the Bible says that man looks on the outside, but God sees on the heart. You know, both sides of those are true, 
And may God protect us from making prejudgments on people just based on what we see or what we hear, but rather we would be gospel-centered, grace-oriented, walking in the agape love. I'm very passionate about this. Um, Pastor Miles was at a conference that I was at not too long ago, and he shared his message, a message that's related to the book. So I went and bought the book, and I'm almost done reading it, and it's very challenging, very encouraging. And I, I know you guys listen to Abounding Grace. I know you share a similar heart that I do, and it's simply this. I want to reach as many people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't want to limit it by my prejudgments, which, by the way, is another way of, of describing our prejudice. And may the Lord deliver us from prejudice. There's no room at the cross for prejudice. And so pick this up, please. It's called The Third Option. Um, whether you get it through us in the ministry here, or you pick it up on Amazon or your local bookstore, please get it and apply the principles. Maybe email me and tell me how the Lord used it in your life. We'll gladly send you a copy of The Third Option by Miles McPherson when you support Abounding Grace today with a gift of $25 or more. We ask that you call to place that resource request at 877-30-GRACE. Join us next time as we study through 2 Corinthians with Pastor Ed Taylor and learn of God's abounding grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church Colorado here in Aurora.